Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the pod of thunder and rock and roll. And are you ready for the patented Duff McKagan joke of the week? Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling you. Listen, my wife uh, told me I was holding the pasta bag upside down. I was confused at first. And then the penne dropped. Thank you very much. Goodbye. All right, Duff. (laughs) I got nothing. Except thank you for bringing it every single Friday. Uh, I love you for calling them in for four years plus uh, without fail every Friday. And we'll see you in May, both with Guns N' Roses when you play the Welcome to Rockville Festival. Uh, GNR also getting back in the road this summer. GunsNRoses.com has all the dates and ticket info. And Fozzie's getting back out there as well. The Save the World Tour starts again March 31st in Detroit, Rock City. And we're bringing the rock and roll all around the states, Connecticut, New Hampshire, New Jersey, Texas, Nevada, California. Get your tickets at FozzyRock.com. It's going to be the rock show of all rock shows. Uh, Our VIP meet and greets are legendary as well. We will be doing those. We'll be playing a private set just for uh, the VIPs before the show. Uh, Tickets available at FozzyRock.com. Go check it out once again at FozzyRock.com. All right, check this out. Today I've got Ripper Jack from Tiger King 2. The second season of Tiger King delves deeper into the mystery behind the disappearance of Don Lewis, Carol Baskin's husband. He went missing in 1997, and uh, people speculated that Carol may have murdered him. Episode three of the first season of Tiger King goes into that. And Ripper Jack is a YouTuber who developed an interest in the case and started his own investigation to find out what happened to Mr. Lewis. He's done extensive interviews with witnesses and people who knew Carol's husband. Ripper's taken many trips to Florida. He's talked to law enforcement. He even started a Facebook group called Don Lewis Cold Case to get others interested in the case to help him solve Don's disappearance. Ripper walks us through Don's last couple of days, what Carol and Don's longtime friend Kenny Farr were doing on that last day Don was reportedly seen alive, and why their behavior is so suspicious. Don also talks about what he and the group have uncovered by sifting through thousands of public records, uh, combing through interviews from the original police investigation into Don's disappearance. He also shares a recent new development in the case exclusively on this show. It's a fascinating case, and we'll break it down with Ripper Jack right now on Talk is Jericho. Let's just jump into it. I'm here with Ripper Jack. We're going to talk about all of the trials and tribulations of Tiger King 2, but you told me that you went to uh, college with a friend of mine. Is that what it was? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Northern Oklahoma College, which is a small college in Tonkawa, Oklahoma. I know him as Paul. I don't know how many people know his real name, but I went to college with this guy, big, tall, gigantic hands <laughs> guy. And what's crazy is after that, I actually moved to Wichita, Kansas. And my brother, who was a basketball coach in Winfield, Kansas, was actually recruiting Paul when he was in junior college. But Paul ended up going and playing at Wichita State. And then I would run into Paul at a place called Fireside, which was a bar. Right. Um, And he ended up becoming a bouncer there, I think. (laughs) Last I had heard, he was selling cars in Wichita. The coach we had in college, the basketball coach, I would run into him in Wichita at these big baseball tournaments. One day I'm talking to Coach Weiberg and he says, hey, have you have you heard about Paul? And I was like, no, what happened to him? He goes, oh, he's doing this wrestling thing. He's like a big deal. And I'm like, what? <laughs> wrestling? He goes, oh, yeah. He said, you got to You got to look into it. He said, but he's like this big deal in, in this wrestling stuff. And I was like what? I'm like the basketball player, right? And he's like, yeah. Anyway, it probably took me a year to figure out who it was. And finally, I think I was at a Walmart and I saw a shirt that said the big show. I think that's what it had. <laughs> and I was like, that's Paul. He, Paul White. Yeah. 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 He done really well for himself. Happy he for sh- him. He sure did. But, but, and so have you, because as we uh, mentioned at the beginning of the show, it's so funny to think about this because I'm sure you're with us too, uh, Ripper, was it seems like a thousand years ago that Tiger King 
was a huge rage. It was right, right at the beginning of the pandemic. Everybody was talking about it and everybody was mentioning it. And, and it seemed to have come and gone so quickly because of all this other stuff that was going on. But now has been the release of Tiger King 2. So what was it th- that kind of drew you to this whole tale and got you involved uh, into the level that you're involved in, which we'll discuss? For me, it was different than others. I watched the show. I thought it was fake. I thought the whole thing was fake. Mm. I mean, after the show, I even asked my wife, I said, do you think this is real or do you think it's a mockumentary? Because they have these fake documentaries out sure. there. I start Googling stuff, you know, and I was like, and I'm from Oklahoma. I should right. know who Joe Exotic is, but I didn't know who he was. And I started Googling and then I saw his mugshot. And when I saw his mugshot, it clicked. I was like, oh, man, I remember hearing about this guy on the news when he got found guilty. So I found out he was real. And then I was like, well, what happened to the guy, to Carol Baskin's ex-husband? Right. Did they ever find him? So I started looking into that. And it took me, I didn't see the show when it first came out. I saw it about eight days later. By then, there should be something out there. There should be some Reddit thread or a YouTuber that has discovered everything. But I couldn't find anything on the guy. He's never been found. I mean, it's still big mystery. And then it then it hit me. I was like, there's three daughters out there that don't know what happened to their dad. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, it looks like they had their money stolen from them. I mean, that's what it appeared to me. And I, I just thought, man, I should get a couple of people together that I've done stuff with in the past on wrongful conviction cases and see if we can uncover something. I finished watching it on March 30th. And on April 1st, we had started our Facebook group, which they show in Tiger King 2, the official Don mm-hmm. Lewis code case group. But we started that on April Fool's Day. And I'm sure some people probably thought it was a joke. And on April 2nd, I had Kenny Farr's ex-wife on my YouTube channel interviewing her. Kenny Farr was the handyman for Don Lewis. In Tiger King 2, he's the guy where they ask about the guns. Where where did he get those guns from? And I had known where he got the guns from because his ex-wife told me in the interview that Carol gave him those guns. That's what started it. Once I interviewed her, It just took off because there wasn't anyone else actually looking into this case. It was there were so many memes about the case and so much Joe Exotic stuff that nobody was really looking. Yeah, just to step in here, it it was one of kind of there's two big loose threads about about Tiger King when you watch it. And obviously it's based around Joe Exotic. But the mystery of Don Lewis, who, and we'll explain it as if people haven't seen it, because I'm sure there's a lot that haven't. Don Lewis was the husband of Carol Baskin, who is basically the reason why Joe Exotic is in jail. And one of the side stories, the first side story is Doc Antle, which is a whole other thing. I don't know how that guy's still out. And there's a whole kind of another mini series about him. But the Carol Baskin mystery, uh, her husband disappeared one of the claims is that Carol Baskin had something to do with it. And they just, they drop this on us and then they basically just kind of leave it be. It is one of the loose threads of the show. And the funny thing is Ripper that I'll tell you is the big cat rescue is literally about 10 minutes from my house. My wife took our kids there when they were little to see the cat. So I know who this lady is. So when you hear about the the husband disappearing, it was kind of this neon sign. They just, they left it loose, which is, I could totally see why you would want to explore that further. It was one of the things that they do nowadays in these documentaries where they put information out there and they don't give you an ending and they leave it up to the viewers to figure out what happened. There's a real good formula for it. And Netflix has it down to a T because, you know, we have 15,000 people in our group. You know, not all of them are trying to find out what happened, but there's a couple thousand of them that this is all they do. They dig public records. They're just searching for anything and everything, any kind of clue as to what happened to Don Lewis and 
the events surrounding his disappearance, which are, you know, for me, I've been working on this for 21 months now, full time. Mm. It's almost the only case I'm working on. And you're not, you're not a detective. You're like a YouTube detective, right? Like an armchair detective sort of. Yes. I'm definitely not qualified to be a detective. I'm gotcha. like a armchair quarterback type mm-hmm. person where, you know, you sit back and you, you want to help someone. Well, I do anyway. And there are certain things that the public can do to help. In the states, because in the states we have access to public records. Going through all the public records in this case is just a gold mine of information. Because when this happened back in 1997, we didn't have the public record system like we have now and the internet. Now you can go to Hillsborough County, their website, and you can just type in someone's name. For example, if you type in Carol Baskin's name under public records, You just get thousands of documents. When you're trying to figure out all the transactions that happen money-wise between Carol and Kenny Farr, there's a paper trail in these public records. It's really a wonderful tool to have, but it's also scary because anyone can access all these records. It can cause a big problem if you're doing this and you start putting information out there that should not be, you know, there's information that I don't want Carol and Kenny Farr. I don't want them to know that I have information that I've turned it over to the sheriff's department. So it's scary because we'll get people that will find this information. They post it in our group and we have to take it down. We're like, no, we don't want that out there. You know, we, we don't want this Mm -hmm. connection to these people out there. But yeah, it's uh, what Netflix did was (laughs) they left so much out there for people to look into that, you know, a lot of us just got hooked into the Don Lewis part of it. So you're saying April 1st, after you watch the show, you want to get involved with the case. So what are your first steps to get started in all of this? We did the Facebook group. And the reason we did the Facebook group is to get some volunteers to help us go through public records and just to get some ideas out there, some theories. The next thing is to talk to witnesses that have information. I think within two weeks, I had made contact with the family of Don Lewis with one of the daughters. The goal there was to find out what information they had. What do you remember around the time your dad went missing? And one of the, one of the questions I asked them What's the latest from the sheriff's department? You know, like, do they update you with information from the case? And one of the troubling things that that I found out about that was the oldest daughter said, we haven't talked to the sheriff's department in over 10 years. Wow. That's case. You know, I was like, you don't get like a yearly update or. And she's like, no, she goes on the 10 year anniversary. We actually set up a meeting to go down and meet with them. She goes, but before that, we hadn't heard anything about it as far as them working on the case, the sheriff's department. And she goes, and until now, we haven't had any contact with the sheriff's department. They haven't updated us with anything. That was actually 13 years Wow! after their last meeting. So that was pretty troubling to me. And that, that really caused me to put it in another gear. You know, as I'm like, why isn't the sheriff's department helping this family? Let, let me ask you this though, though Jack, for, for, for people that once again might not know, what is kind of the overall sheriff's description of what happened to Don Lewis? Depends on who you talk to there. It's still classified as a missing persons case. Wow. Okay. However, the sheriff, who's Chad Cronister, he's come out yeah. publicly and has said it's a murder case and that he believes there were multiple people involved wow. with the murder of Don Lewis but it's still classified as a missing persons case. So it's a little confusing because you get mixed messages from the sheriff's department. They're really hard to read, but yeah, it's still a missing persons case. They not named a person of interest. It's (laughs) you probably shouldn't get me talking about the sheriff's department. I (laughs) I mean, they kind of dogged me in the show. 
But the, the bottom line is what we're talking about is that Carol and Don were married. Don flew to Costa Rica, apparently, and then we never saw him again. That's kind of the underlying story that Carol tells. Yeah. And there's zero evidence that he actually left for Costa Rica that Monday. She's put the story out there that his van was found at this airport. She thinks he was going to Costa Rica and he crashed over the Gulf, but what Carol didn't know in 1997 is that the airport where Don's van was found, Don hadn't been right. using that airport for a few years. Him and the owner of the airport had gotten into a business dealing that went south, and Don hadn't used that airport for a few years. He would not have flown out from that airport. He didn't even have any planes at that airport, but Carol wasn't aware of that because the last few years of their marriage... Don was hiding things from Carol. He, for a couple of years, he was trying to get out of the marriage. So he wasn't telling her anything. And that whole airport theory, it stinks. And even Chad Cronister says that he thinks the van was planted at that airport, that he doesn't think Don Lewis actually drove the van gotcha. to that airport. So when you start looking into this, so what are because I know you have a tip line and you've got 15,000 people that are trying to help you. So kind of, and you've got the daughters on your side who all believe that Carol was behind this disappearance to basically get Don's money. We've seen it in, in part two, but let's get into this a little more. What are you kind of finding out and, and what kind of uh, reactions are you getting to these questions that you're asking? One, one of the remarkable things about this is when I started talking to people that knew Don Lewis and that had worked at the animal sanctuary there. Some of these people that volunteered there back in the 90s kept all of their records from around the time Don went missing. And when I would talk to them, they would give different accounts of what actually happened around the time that Don went missing. For instance, on the missing persons report, Carol states that she saw Don Lewis around 6 a.m. on Monday morning. Well, the notary who came forward says that Carol told her around nine o'clock that same morning that Don was missing. Now, if you just saw your husband at 6 a.m., you're not telling people three hours later, hey, by the way, if the police come by today, don't freak out. Don's missing. It's not a big deal. When you get that kind of information, you know, you're just like, whoa. And then there's other witnesses who say they were told Sunday night that Don was missing. So if he's missing Sunday night, how did Carol see him Monday morning? And also that Sunday night in the original Tiger King. And for those that have not seen the show, you can just watch episode three of season one. Episode three focuses on Don Lewis. So if you're interested in true crime, just watch episode three of season one. In episode three, they talk about Don leaving or Carol says, you know, he told me to get the truck ready for Costa Rica early, early, early on Monday morning. <laughs> there's so much in episode three that you really have to watch it a few times. But there's conflicting stories of Carol saying one thing and then witnesses coming out and saying something totally opposite. And, and those are the kind of things that you know, like the tip line, people will call in the tip line that were there back then. And they'll say, well, this is, that's not what I remember. What I remember is, you know, I came into work Monday morning and Carol told me Don Lewis was missing, you know, so that's pretty astounding. There's other tips that of course I can't talk about, but you know, the tip line is, I was a little nervous when I, when we first did it, because we did a hundred thousand dollars, we raised a hundred thousand dollars, put out the tip line. And I thought, man, I don't know. Cause I, I run the tip line. I was just like, man, I don't know what kind of chaos is this going to create and phone calls. And it has created some humorous phone calls. It has also pulled in some great tips, you know, behind that, you got to corroborate them just because someone says, right then you have to really go into it and say, okay, did this person really work there? You'll get some tips sometimes where someone will give you great information. And then you start calling your sources and they're all like, no, I don't know who this person is. You know, it's a lot of work 
there's a lot of work running the tip line. That- well, sure. But you're also trying to piece together this mystery because obviously, like you said, there are some things amiss here. You mentioned you got some some humorous tips. Are you getting some crackpots calling in there and giving you some stuff? Tell us some of those. <laughs> yeah. When we did our press conference in August of 2020, when we announced the reward in the tip line, probably 99 out of 100 calls would be, watch Tiger King. Haven't you seen the documentary? You'll know Carol Baskin did it. <laughs> yeah. There was a lot of that. And then around two, three, four o'clock in the morning, you'll also get calls. And it's like a crowd of people. They've been drinking or something. They're like, hey, you know, this is Don Lewis. I'm in, you know, I'm in the UK. And there's some pretty funny ones. There's been some kids. I, I wish I could release some <laughs> of them because there was a kid that called in that was probably. 10 or 11 years old, she calls and she says, I'm Carol Baskin's neighbor. Of course, it sounds like a little kid. And Carol told me that she did it. And they hang up. (laughs) (laughs) Done. (laughs) And then they call back and they say, this is Carol's neighbor. I forgot to tell you, I don't want you to say my name. And they never told me my name or their name. (laughs) The name, right. They hang up, call back again. And, and then they said, hey, don't call this number back. My little brother was playing on the phone and he accidentally called you. And don't call back and tell my mom that my little brother called. This is a kid that no. called and thought, oh, man, maybe I shouldn't have <laughs> called. Trouble, right. <laughs> but I, I listened to that one over and over because it was pretty humorous <laughs> to hear this kid try to talk themselves out of this phone call. <laughs> Do you have any uh, relationship with Carol Baskin? Have you ever met her or had contact at all? She called me a troll. That's about mm-hmm. the only relationship I have with her. And they showed that in the show. Right. And what they didn't show, we had uncovered some documents. There, there's been tons of documents that appear to be forged. But one of the documents was when Wildlife on Easy Street went into a nonprofit. And Don Lewis never wanted to have a nonprofit because he didn't want anyone to control what he was doing. He didn't want to answer to anybody. But And this is their zoo? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And in the Articles of Incorporation, there's a signature on there named Jamie Lewis. Now, Jamie is the same name of Carol's daughter, but her last name is not Lewis. But in this Articles of Corporation, it's, you know, I think it was the vice president is Jamie Lewis. So we knew right away that the document was probably forged because there's not a Jamie Lewis at all. But so in that podcast that Carol was on, she was being interviewed live and I I submitted a question and I said, who is Jamie Lewis? And Carol's response to that question was, I don't even talk to that guy. He's a troll. So she didn't even answer the question about who is Jamie Lewis, who is the vice president of their nonprofit. But before that, I had emailed her and called her and left messages to go dig up the septic tank because after the show came out, she said, if anyone wants to come out and dig up the septic tank, you can. You just have to pay to have a new one put in. So I took her up on the offer. Because one of the theories is that she killed Don and buried him under the septic tank, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it's kind of a crazy theory. And what makes it even, I guess, not credible is because you have Joe Exotic making these videos, you know, where he's got a picture of Don Lewis and he's talking. And this is in season one of Tiger King where he's like, hey, Carol, get me out of here. You know, this is your husband. And Joe's kind of making a joke out of it. But it's, it's a plausible theory. As a matter of fact, I'll send you these documents. I have the actual original receipts for the septic tank when it was installed. And it was actually installed right at the same time that Don Lewis went missing. It's kind of interesting that it was being put in right when the guy went missing. And I did track down the company that installed it. And they told me it had an 18-inch clean-out. Meaning? Meaning it's big enough to put a 150-pound person through. You know, Don Lewis goes missing on August 15th. That's the last time his secretary slash best friend Ann McQueen saw him at work. After that, there's really nobody that saw him. 
But this septic tank was the last receipt is dated August 14th, just the day before that he went missing. And it's a 900 gallon septic tank and it's a concrete tank. The person or the company that installed it, they told me, they gave me exact dimensions. You know, it's 56 inches deep by this and that. And it was plenty large enough for a human body to get in there. But I took her up on the offer to dig up the septic and to replace it with a new one. And then a week later on one of her YouTube videos, she said that no YouTubers are allowed to do the septic tank. <laughs> I tried to find a way around that and get someone else, you know, a non-YouTuber. Right, to do of course. It. And then they upped it to a $100,000 bet where if someone wants to do it, they have to put $100,000 up. And if he's in there, then you would get the $100,000 reward that's out there. But if he's not, then they keep the hundred grand. Wow. And I'm not kidding. They, this really happened. It was like a $100,000 wager. That's insane. I mean, who, who's, who would take that up? It's actually quite diabolical when you think about it. It really is. When you're thinking about, I mean, I live out in the country. We have a septic here. If someone was accusing me of hiding a body in the of septic, course. I'd be the first one out there with a jackhammer or whatever. And I'd film it all. And I'd say, see how silly this is. I mean, right. it, it'd be worth the 10 grand to me to do it and replace one. But they didn't take me up on my offer. And then they turned it into a joke, you know, $100,000 bet, which in Florida, it's illegal for nonprofits to place bets like that to do gambling. But, you know, why, you know, I guess you could ask why a million times, but you would think that with that sort of a, a boast that the cops would come in and say, we're going to dig it up for free just to check it out. I mean, they, they have the right to do that, don't they? They would need probable cause to go out there to get a search warrant. Carol, from what I understand, she will not allow them to come out there. But one, one of the things with the septic is Carol had, you know, after the show came out, she said the septic tank theory is ludicrous. That thing was installed long before Don went missing. It wasn't. It was installed right at the same time. There's enough witnesses that have come forward since that the sheriff's office has interviewed that I'm told they do have enough probable cause to get a search warrant hmm. to go out there and dig that thing up. But I just don't think they're interested in, in doing that. That in itself wouldn't be that big of an ordeal, but the case would take a lot of work. And I sure. just don't think the sheriff's department can do it physically or mentally. I, I just don't think it's not an easy case. There is a lot of work, a lot of paperwork, a lot of documents, a lot of witnesses. And I just don't think they can physically maintain. For me, it's been pretty brutal physically the last 21 months, you know, traveling back and forth to Florida going through documents. I mean, mentally, it's just, you know, it really wears you down. So let's talk about Tiger King 2 because, you know, it's interesting because as soon as one was such a hit, you know there's going to be a two. But what can you really do when Joe Exotic is in jail? And he's not the focus of this one. It is more on uh, Jeff Lowe and it's more on what you're doing and James Garrison, that sort of thing. So how did you get involved with this and how did you find the filming, the editing and the final product of what, what, what they showed on TV? The way I got involved is I was doing the, my YouTube channel and putting videos out with people that I was interviewing. And I think within two weeks of me looking into it, someone pulled up some records of donations to Big Cat Rescue. And what we found was over the last 10 years, Sheriff Cronister and his wife, his, his wife belongs to the DeBartolo family. They yeah. used to own the 49ers. They're very wealthy. They were donating money to Big Cat Rescue. Right. It's anywhere between five and $10,000 a year, which to me and the normal average person, that's a lot of money. To the DeBartolo Foundation, it's really not, but it was still a conflict of interest. And when we uncovered that, I made a video on it and talked about 
maybe another department needs to come in or maybe the sheriff's department needs to hand this off because for one, Carol's brother worked for the sheriff's department as a deputy when Don Lewis went missing. So that was kind of a conflict. And now you have the sheriff and his family getting private tours of Big Cat Rescue, making donations. So when I put that video out there, I guess someone sent it to one of the producers and I got a call from one of the producers and, you know, they're like, so what are you, you know, what's your goal or what are you actually doing? And, you know, I said, I'm just trying to find out what happened to this man. They'd asked me next time, you know, like next time we come to Florida, can we come visit you and do an interview? And I was like, well, yeah, but I'm in Oklahoma. I said, I'm not even in Florida. And, you know, they're like, oh, so how are you related to the case or the family? And I was like, I'm not. I was like, I'm just a guy in Oklahoma that thought I could help. And I wanted to start uncovering some of this information to find out if Carol had something to do with this man's disappearance. So that's how I got started with the filming. And I think it was two weeks after that phone call, I went out to Florida and I was there for two and a half weeks interviewing witnesses. Their camera crew followed me around for a couple of weeks. I came back home for a week and a half and I went back out for another couple of weeks and they followed me there. They did a lot of filming, but there was not, these shows, a lot of stuff is edited, but there was a lot of bombshells that I had uncovered during Mm -hmm. filming that are not in Tiger King 2. So I don't know what they're saving it for. I mean, my best guess is down the road, there's going to be you would think a Carol Baskin miniseries for sure. Yeah, she does. I, I did see she had signed to do a show, but it's not with these producers. You know, when it comes to Joe, <laughs> that whole thing is is pretty crazy because, as you said, in episodes like four and five, you have Jeff Lowe, you have Alan Glover, you have James Garretson, these guys coming forward now recanting, saying... You're taking it back, yeah. Right. Except for James. James Garrison has not recanted his statements because if people don't really fully look into this, you don't really understand the whole scope of things. But there's court transcripts and James Garrison testified. But when you go and you watch James Garrison do his interviews with people, everything that he said in court under oath is the same thing he's still saying in these podcasts. And these other people like Jeff Lowe and Alan Glover, totally different. They've changed their story. So that's what a lot of focus was in Tiger King 2 was Jeff Lowe and Alan Glover. And Alan Glover was the supposed hitman recanting and changing their stories from what they originally said. I'm confused that they're in goal. Are they really trying to get Joe out of prison or is there something else? going on here it's i I was really confused by the way it ended with that because they say the plot was to kill joe not carol i'm just like what i had james garrison on my youtube channel i'd ask him not on my channel but after the show came out i called him and i said was there a plot to kill joe And he's like no never he said that's all made up that does run through the the documentary that, it that was something, yeah. Yeah, so I, I don't know where they were going with that or where that will end up. My my thought is that Tiger King 2 was planting seeds for something in the future. Sure. It is kind of hodgepodge when you think about it. I mean, once again, there's only so much you can do while Joe's in jail. That's so, true. you know, we're talking about all, all these ancillary stories that, that you and I have discussed, which, of course, Carol being one and Jeff Lowe being one and all that sort of thing, for sure. Yeah. You have to watch the show. I've only watched it twice. I could go watch it again. I'd pick up new stuff because it is hodgepodge and there's so much information. But, you know, the stuff I focused on, of course, was Carol. And this timeline, I meant to say this earlier when you're talking about the things that I had uncovered with the tip line and this this other stuff. But during the weekend that Don went missing, 
in Tiger King 1, they talked about Carol going on that late night milk run. At 11 o'clock, she goes to Albertsons to pick up cat milk, which they didn't sell at Albertsons, by the way. And her car (laughs) breaks down. I love that. When you watch, you know, Carol has these diaries that she puts out on her YouTube channel. But in one of her diaries, she said that Albertsons was closed. It's so easy to go back and look things up nowadays. But we found newspaper articles for that Albertsons. It had actually opened in the spring of 1997. And it was a 24-hour Albertsons. So... I don't think she ever went to Albertson's for one. I think she was busy doing something else that night. But the Albertson's was a 24-hour Albertson's. And what we have learned is Carol ended up with Don Lewis's cell phone. Right. All the witnesses that I talked to said that Don Lewis and his cell phone were like one. There was never a time they did not see that man with his cell phone. But we did find out that Carol ended up with the man's cell phone on the the day that he was supposedly supposed to be going to Costa Rica. He would take that phone to Costa Rica with him because there were people that were over there that I've talked to that said, yeah, he had his cell phone in Costa Rica and he would call people in the States from Costa Rica. So, you know, one of the big things that come out of this is Carol claims that she was out doing this late night milk run to an Albertsons, which was, she says, closed, but it was open, which makes me think she never went there. And then she comes home the next day. She tells her housekeeper, who was also the notary on the will and the power of attorney, that Don Lewis is missing. There's a lot of things that just don't add So why up. do you think she went for this? quote unquote milk run at 3 a.m. where and they describe it in the in the series where it took her two or three hours. She said her car broke down, all these other things. What do you think was really going on when she went to find this cat milk at Albertsons? It was four hours is how long it took this milk run. Supposedly she left at 11 p.m. and got back home at 3 a.m. or around 3 a.m. But what we've uncovered is that night her brother who was a deputy with Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department. Isn't that convenient? Yeah, very. He was out working. I have the call sheets on this from the public records, but I think it was at 3.02 a.m. He gets a call from dispatch about a burglary call. Right. In the report, he gets that call, but he has to be freed. It says freed. I, I think his badge number, is ID number is like 3892, but he gets the call for it. And it says freed. So I called one of my sources at the sheriff's department. I said, hey, can you go over this with me? And he says, yeah, what that means is Chuck got a call and he was busy doing something else. So he could not take the call and he had to be freed from it. And then on the next line, you see someone else that dispatch called to take the call. And the person that took the call was covering another area. These people have areas that they're assigned to. Right. So Chuck gets a call at like 302. He's doing something. We don't know what he's doing, but he can't take this burglary call. So this other guy covers him. And then 15 minutes later, Chuck calls dispatch and says, okay, I'm finished doing whatever it was I'm doing. I'm going to go over and provide backup for the guy covering me. Right. And then he goes over, I think, at 317 to this call. So we looked up those records and the call was like two blocks from Big Cat Rescue. So it's real close to Carol. But what Carol says happened, she was walking back from the Albertsons around 3 a.m. And she hears her brother's voice because he's on a call somewhere. And she claims that this guy, we, we looked up the address where the call was. And then we looked up the route from Albertsons to her house. And we're like, okay, if you're walking on main street, you go this way. If you're taking the shortest route, you're going on these little back roads. But the closest she ever would have been to that call was two blocks away. And she wants people to believe that she's just out there walking and she hears her brother at this burglary call talking to someone outside. That's how her and her brother met up that Sunday morning, early 
morning, but I think they were already together doing something and he got the call, whatever they were doing, they had to finish up and then he had to go cover his call because there's, I mean, there's records of it. So if you're out doing something you should be doing and, and you're working, you get a call from dispatch, you only have a limited amount of time to really get your butt back on, on the job. But something happened that night and there's not any reports that I've seen. I've heard from some of my sources about a report from another cop that was out that night working that call. And supposedly, like I said, I have not seen the report. So I'm, this is coming from one of my sources. But in the report, there's an officer that did see Carol with her brother. And he described Carol as frantic. And in Tiger King 2, Jerry Mitchell is kind of narrating the story about that Sunday night. And he brings it up. He says, you know, you got to remember the officer said Carol was frantic. Right. So there's something that Sunday night that happened. And that's also the Sunday night in, in the show, Tiger King 2, when they interview Kenny Farr and they ask him about where did he get these guns? That Sunday night is the night that he brought home the guns, according to his wife. What are the guns? Have? What's the great question? Yeah. Don Lewis used to loan people money, 18% interest rate, probably higher than that sometimes, but he would loan people cash and people would give him collateral. And one of the things he took as collateral were guns, but right. he had a collection of guns that I'm told was at least 50 guns could have been a hundred guns, but a large amount of guns. And on Sunday night, the same night as this milk run, Kenny Farr, the handyman, comes home around 11 or 12 o'clock that Sunday night, driving Don's van that was found at that airport a few days later and had Don's gun collection in it. Kenny Farr's ex-wife said, Kenny came home like 11 or 12 o'clock driving Don's van and said he needed help unloading some stuff out of the van. She goes, when I went out there, there was a blanket. And when he pulled the blanket off, there was just a gigantic stack of guns in the van. And there was other people there too that helped unload these guns. So the guns get unloaded. And then in Tiger King 2, actually, before I go there, let me back up a little bit. After Tiger King 1 came out, Carol actually put a statement out. She had a refuting Tiger King statement she put on her website. And on this statement, she says she loved Kenny Farr like a son that when he asked for Don's gun collection, she gave it to him. She admits to giving Kenny these guns. But in the interview, which took place in 2019, which Carol did not know about, they asked Kenny about the guns. And he says he got them from Don Lewis for moving a house, that it was payment for him moving a house for Don. And what people don't understand is Don was paying Kenny like an employee to work there. You know, Kenny would come in and pick up like a paycheck every week. He wasn't being paid by, hey, go do some work and we'll barter. You know, I'll give oh, gotcha. you. Right, right. He was an employee. So the guns play an important role. And when they ask him where he got the guns in the show, and I'll, I won't forget this. It's a 17 minute mark of episode three of Tiger King 2. They ask him about the guns and Kenny says he got them from Don. And then the producer of the show, Eric Good, says, oh, so you didn't you didn't get them from Carol. And when he says that, you can see Kenny's face. His eyes kind of look around. He's like, <laughs> uh, I can't remember. Uh, yeah, I got them from Carol. And then when he says that, it's a if you know the backstory to the guns and Don's disappearance, the next question is a bombshell. Because then Eric Good says, so did you get them after Don went missing? Because he says, was Don already gone? And when he asked that question, you see Kenny crap his pants. Go back and watch it. When he says, was Don already gone? Kenny has this look yeah. on his face. 
But Kenny knew at that time that Eric Good knew about the gun story from his ex-wife. And then I don't know if they edited something because it looks like there's a little break in the cut, but it goes back to him saying, Don gave me the guns. So I don't know what else was said, but when you watch that and you know the backstory to the guns, Kenny Farr's totally busted in this gun story because it's my belief that those guns were payment for a service that Kenny had done, but they weren't a payment by Don Lewis. It was a payment from Carol. And not only that, within three months after Don Lewis went missing, Carol gave Kenny three properties that were worth total is worth a couple hundred thousand dollars. And one of the properties, his wife said, Kenny took a mortgage out on the property, got about 40 some thousand dollars out of the mortgage and equity, cashed the check, never made a mortgage payment on the property and it went into foreclosure. And then what we found out with these public records searching over the next nine months, there's another eight or nine properties that were given to Kenny by Carol. And we estimate it's probably around a million dollars worth of property that was given to Kenny within a year after Don Lewis going missing. So what we're seeing here, because there's a great scene where the airplane goes over when Kenny's talking and he changes his story, right? With like a, like instantly realizes, oh shit, I got to change this back. Are you surmising that maybe Kenny had something to do with Don Lewis's disappearance as well? Absolutely. My big thing when when people ask me, even, even the producers when they're interviewing me, because the producers would flip back and forth with what they would think. Some days it was like, oh, that's pretty convincing. And then some days I don't think so. You know, they were really going back and forth with what they thought and, and they never did. That was a weird thing. Like the producers never did say she did it or she didn't do it. They were just, and I guess they're not supposed to really, but right. Of course, which I was amazed because I thought I presented some pretty good evidence that was very convincing. But the biggest thing to me is Carol and Kenny, they knew 100% that Don Lewis was never coming back. So how did they know this man would never come back? The reason I say that is he goes missing on the 15th. Carol reports him missing on the 19th of August. Nine or 10 days later, Kenny Farr, Carol and her dad go and break into Don Lewis's office that he's had for however many years. And he had a trailer set up on the corner of this property. That was his office. But on the, I think it was the 29th of August, 10 days after he's reported missing, Ann McQueen, who's the secretary for Don Lewis, is at the sheriff's department talking to them and turning over the restraining order letter that Don Lewis had filed because he filed a restraining order against Carol in June of 1997 saying that she threatened to kill him. But she's down there on the 29th meeting with the sheriff's department. Carol calls her, says, where are you at? She's like, I'm at the sheriff's department. 30 minutes later, Ann gets a call from the alarm company saying the alarms are going off at the office. Jeez. Yeah. So Ann calls one of Don's daughters and says, hey, the alarms are going off the office. I'm meeting with the sheriff's department. Can you go over there? So one of the daughters who was in the show, the blonde, Donna, yep. she goes over there. And when she gets there, Kenny, Carol, and Carol's dad have cut the locks on the gate, the locks on the door of the trailer, and they're hauling out all the files from the office. And then they actually load up the whole trailer and move it out to Wildlife on Easy Street. They basically still... Don Lewis's office. Everyone I've talked to said there's no way Don would have ever put up with any of that stuff. You know, when I look at stuff like that, I just have to think that they knew Don was not coming back or they would not have done that. Kenny worked for Don, not for Carol. There's no way Kenny goes and takes this man's office and moves it to Carol's place. There's no way that Kenny Farr receives all of these guns that belong to Don Lewis. You know, I was told by one person that saw them that there was like 80 guns. They were mm. everywhere at their trailer. He said 
They were stuffed under their bed. Their closet was just full of guns. Their spare bathroom, they had a bathroom in their master bedroom, said the bathtub was just full. All the guns were stacked in the bathtub. And it's like there were so many guns. There's just no way Kenny Farr takes Don's gun collection that Don would have been using for collateral, for loans, if he knew Don was coming back. So let me ask you this, then why would, why, in your opinion, would he have turned on, on Don and went with Carol? Chris, that's a great question. Not very many people have even asked that question. So in talking to witnesses, and I can't go into a lot of detail, but in talking to witnesses, I've talked to some that have said that Kenny and Carol were having an affair. There's someone that I talked to that would... You know, they'd be in the same room when Kenny was on the phone with Carol and they would hear this lovey-dovey talk like sweetie, honey, and things like that. So to me, I mean, it's my opinion, and there's some others out there as well that think that Kenny and Carol were having an affair. And that's why Kenny turned on on Don Lewis. Well, that would be kind of what I was thinking. Because once again, I mean, it's very interesting to me because Carol, like... She comes across as not not a very nice person. You know what I mean? Like she comes across like very, I don't know, fake is the word, but there is a front with her. And that seems to be something that you can really kind of call her out on. And I feel that like she's always one step away from just losing it. Like you can see that and the way she's always kind of half smiling and you know, the, the way they portray her. And it just seems like at any step of the thing, she would just be like, ah, stab you, stab you, stab you, stab you, you know? No, I think you're right on. I, I think she is a loose cannon. There are stories, you know, where Don had told people that Carol tried to throw him off a balcony one night. And Don was telling his ex-wife, Gladys, who was in the first show, they were on the second floor someplace and she was trying to throw him off the balcony. And... Don said, I was holding on for dear life. And I told Carol, if I go over, you're going with me. Wow. You know, I mean, Don was like 150 pounds. He was not a big guy. I totally believe that she could have grabbed him and and probably manhandled him. But I do think when he came home on August 15th, because according to Anne McQueen, Don's secretary for 18 years and was also his best friend. Don came into work August 15th and said him and Carol had gotten into a big fight the night before. And Don actually said he slept in one of the truck trailers, came to work Friday morning and left around 1.30. And he told Ann, I'm going home and I'm telling her we're getting a divorce. Ann said he was serious. He had his mind made up. She goes, he left and he was going home to tell her he wanted a divorce. And that's the last time she ever talked to him. So, you know, with what you say, I I think he could have went home. He was pretty upset. He probably like he had told others that Carol wasn't getting any of his money. So he could have gone home and I'm done. We're getting a divorce. You're not getting anything. And then Carol could have snapped. It's very believable. I mean, they had guns out there. They're out in a place where nobody would have known what happened. I think at that time they had 40 acres. It wouldn't be that hard. Or they they also had ketamine out there that they used to put the animals to sleep when they need to move them. But if you're a strong person and you got this little 150 pound guy, I mean, you could inject him with something and put him to sleep and hold him down and then do something and have him tied up until Sunday when you get some help. The interesting thing about the Sunday, Sundays were the the day that the animals would fast. So the volunteers would not come to work on Sunday. Kenny Farr's ex-wife says she was home Sunday. Kenny was home on Sunday, which was really odd. She goes, Kenny always worked. She goes, but this Sunday, which is August 17th, she goes, he was home she goes, I remember thinking, what's he doing home? Why is he here? And around one o'clock in the afternoon, he got a phone call to their, their home phone number at their trailer and he left. And then he came back that night, like around 11 or 12, driving Don's van, the one that was found at the airport. 
and all of these guns. And then that's the same night that Carol went on her milk run and stayed out all night, supposedly, and ran into her brother. That Sunday, something could have happened to Dawn on Friday, and Sunday could have been the day when they all got rid of the right. body somehow, some way. As we start to wind down here, I guess the, just to kind of cut right to the chase, what is your theory on, on what happened? Is that basically what you think happened? Yeah, I think I think he went home Friday, told her they were getting a divorce, and he had threatened that to her before, which is in some of Carol's interviews that she did back in, I think there was one that's 10 years ago. She actually brought up, oh yeah, my husband went missing and we weren't having any fights, no marriage issues, no nothing. But we know it's not true. There's documented events of them having issues. But I think he went home, told her he was getting a divorce and that he was taking all the money. She was well aware because she was with him when he went through his divorce with his ex-wife. And she knew what he was capable of when it came to hiding money. Because he did hide money from his ex-wife. Right. She she took him back to court, got a bunch of more money out of him. But Carol was well aware of the tricks that he could play if he was divorcing someone. And he was the one that made all the money at the place. So I don't think he was going to leave her with hardly anything at all. So I think he went home. Something happened between two o'clock and four o'clock. The reason I say four o'clock, because Ann McQueen says she started calling him at four o'clock on Friday because she had to get some title work ready for these cars that were going to Costa Rica. She was never able to get a hold of him. She actually started paging him their 911 emergency code because back in 97, we still had pagers back then. He never called her back. She never got a hold of him. You know, by four o'clock, he was incapacitated somehow, some way. It's what I think. And Sunday, something happened because there's too much happening on Sunday. Kenny's leaving home, coming back with Don's vehicle and the, and the guns. Carol's saying she's out doing a milk run. Her brother, who works for the sheriff's department, gets a call from dispatch and he's too busy to take it. Right. So, you know, there's just too many things that happened that Sunday that I, I think on Sunday something happened. I will put something out there that's not out there. I'll give you, your listeners, a bone here. That car that she drove that Sunday night was a station wagon. Supposedly it broke down and then the next day she took it someplace and the mechanic said it's not worth fixing. That's the last we ever hear about the vehicle. But the vehicle was recovered just a couple of years ago in the Florida Everglades. And that's all I can say about it. But that car wow. that she drove that night that she says broke down was recovered a couple of years ago, abandoned out in the Florida Everglades. Jeez. I don't know when it got there because this is fairly new information. I don't know what testing has been done on that vehicle, but it, it was recovered. It could have been sitting there since 1997. That, I mean, that Sunday night, they could have been driving not to Albertsons, but to the Florida Everglades and dumped that vehicle there. You know, I, I don't know, but that's something that's not out there yet. So your your listeners will get a nice little bone and and my listeners that I, they'll be upset. They're like, why, why didn't you tell us that? Right. I'll I'll, right. I'll let them know. I'll I'll tease them with this. Well, last question for you. Uh, what's the end game here? What do you want to get done over the next little while? And what do you think is going to happen? The end game is to solve this case, to get someone to come forward and tell us what they know. I mean, we've had some people come forward with some really good information. You know, there's a $100,000 reward. There's one little thing we're missing from that Sunday night. And I think once we get that, then we can close this case in the sheriff's department or the state attorney or whoever's going to handle this can actually take this thing over the finish line. But the end goal is to find out what happened to this guy and give his daughters some closure because it's been 24 years and they, they still don't know what happened to their dad. Well, it's quite a mystery, man. And it's cool that you're involved the way you are. And like you said, I think there's going to be more of a Carol Baskin story coming on Netflix next. 
similar to what they did with Doc Ansel. And sooner or later, the truth will come out. Confucius, the three things that always uh, come out are the sun, the moon, and the truth, right? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. Hey, exactly. I got to ask you before we go, when did you start wrestling? What, what years did you start? Uh, 1990. All right. Do you remember Ivan Putsky? Were you a wrestling fan? Like, no, I, I, I grew up in Canada, so you I did. didn't, uh, didn't really uh, know much about him. Hacksaw Jim Dugan. Um, yeah, I know those guys. Yeah. All right. So when they wrestled with the Mid South Wrestling Organization, I used to go to those matches as a kid and watch those guys. But back in the seventies or eighties, I think. But there was there was some <laughs> legends back then with those guys, Hacksaw Jim Dugan and Ted DiBiase and all those. Yeah, all yeah, those guys yeah. at that point in time. Yeah, you guys, you guys are all right. Are, was amazing athletes. I just want to say that. Thanks for having me, Chris. I Thanks, appreciate dude. it, man. All right. Talk stay safe soon. out there. Thanks, man. You All too. Right.